0: Welcome to King of Glory's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this week's encouraging message by Pastor Sam Fine. For more information, please visit kingofglorycc.com. And so today's word is only believe. Only believe. And uh, <clears throat> there's a story of a captain whose ship encountered a raging storm offshore. And he realized the ship was sinking fast. And he called out and he said, Anyone here know how to pray? And one man stepped forward. Hey, Captain. Aye, Captain, I know how to pray. He said, Good, said the captain. You pray while the rest of us put on our life jackets. We're one short. That was a joke. All right. It went over like a lead balloon, didn't it? <laughs> but the reality is, for us as Christians, there are moments when even though we are standing strong, things can happen in our lives that can provoke us to enter into fear. And we can be challenged with How are we going to navigate that moment when all of a sudden there's not a life jacket for you? And you're a praying person, but there's not another life jacket. And in that moment, how are you, as a soldier of the Lord, going to steward fear? You know, Paul made it very clear that we are soldiers of the Lord. And each day, we are to put on the whole armor of God. We're to put on the belt of truth and buckle it tight and put on the breastplate to keep our hearts right. And we're going to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And in addition to all, we're going to take up the shield of faith to extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. We're going to put on the helmet of salvation we're going to take up the sword of the Spirit in our right hand, which is the Word of God. And we're going to continually pray for the saints of the Lord. But the one thing that I want to highlight is that Paul describes this, this armor that we're to put on in Ephesians 6. But, but he says, hold up the shield of faith to extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. And the fiery darts at times are coming at us in in the shape of fear. And in the blink of an eye, something can happen to provoke us to fall into the grips of fear and be paralyzed by fear. And how you contend with fear as a soldier is paramount for you to receive the promises that God has for you. Because when tries to paralyze you, if he's getting an inroad into your life, it is at that moment that he's after something. And the enemy is after one thing in your life. It's the seed of faith that's in your heart. He's going after your level of faith that is in the Lord Jesus Christ because Where he can go after that faith, it's like the birds of the air going after the seed in the parable. We've got to guard and protect our hearts because from our heart springs forth the wellspring of life. But the scripture says also um, in Ephesians, Paul says, I pray that you be strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner man so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. So faith is the object that the enemy goes after. And he wants to trip you up, and he wants to try to, per- to persuade you that God is not good. And God is not going to come through for you. You cannot trust him. The promises are maybe for other people, but they're not for you. So when you begin to doubt that, well, maybe all of the promises really aren't for me, Doubt begins to paralyze you. It's like kryptonite with Superman. It just, it paralyzes you where you're not able to move into action and to obtain the promises that God has for you in your own personal life. You know, this week I, I was just freshly reminded uh, that, that we're in a battle. Do you guys realize that? And, and we don't get to take a break from that. I wish we could, but we don't. And soldiers of the Lord always have to be on guard and ready to endure whatever is coming their way. But we're to fight the good fight. It is a good fight because Jesus has won the battle. But we got to enter into this, and at times it can feel like a wrestling match. But in 2 Timothy 2, 3, it says this, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, Paul's saying. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. But as soldiers, one thing that we have to contend with on a regular basis is fear. We have fear hit us in many ways. You can see the fear of failure, the fear of lack, not having enough money, the fear of the unknown, the fear of losing control, the fear of being lonely, the fear of rejection, the fear of humiliation, the fear of not even receiving the promises of God, and the list goes on. But it's in these moments, and how we contend with it, will determine if we enter in and receive the promise that God has for us. But, but at times, as you know, the onslaught is coming in from every direction. But I think we ought to have a motto as Christians. And that is living fearlessly. Living fearless. Living a life with no fear No way, no how is it going to enter into my mind. So we have to determine if this is uh, the enemy's greatest weapon against us, we've got to not allow it in any way to creep into our minds. We cannot allow it to, to take any hold within our lives. But we confront it with the word of God, just as the devil went in. Just as Jesus went into the wilderness and was confronted by the devil for 40 days, every time he came at him with a lie, what did he say? It is written. It is written. He used the word as the truth, as the one thing that would establish freedom and would bring about the victory. And so we are to stand on God's word and believe it and declare it over our lives. And in some ways, you have to, for lack of better words, get aggressive. You know, there's times when the enemy wants, he's, he's testing you to see what is made of you. And there's times you've got to respond back in a manner with God's word declaring that, yes, I believe it, and yes, I will declare it. And so in that, you are building up your most holy faith, and you're bringing about the victory and receiving the promise that is yours. Just last week, I, for the last month, I've had a dear friend, a dear friend of this house, Alan Smith, a very prophetic man that um, uh, helps encourage many churches, He's been a real encouragement to this church and to me personally. But in the last month, he's texted me a couple times and and a month ago, he gave me a word that was so encouraging to my heart. And, And then this last week, this last Sunday, I was standing right there and all of a sudden, I get a text right before I get up to share the word. And the text said this to me. He said, do not despair for your time is now. When I heard that, when I read that, it so encouraged my heart because there's times in which we are pressed and easily can fall into despair and and begin to be challenged with the things that are coming at us from every direction. But I stood on that word and I began to declare that word even throughout the week that do not despair. It's like as, as... As David said, you know, don't be downcast, oh, my soul. Put your hope in the Lord. And I began to declare this word over my life, and it was so encouraging me to find a real breakthrough in my own life. But you know what? Sometimes right before the breakthrough is getting ready to happen in your life, it is the most intense season of your life. It's like you're in a pressure cooker. It's right before the breakthrough comes. It's like things can be so intense all around you. That's right. You preach it, Abel. All around you, that it's almost like just hanging on in that moment that feels like everything is coming against you, but it's the moment that you're on the verge of your breakthrough. But I want to look at two stories today that are found in Mark 5. So if you can go with me there to Mark 5. In this chapter, Mark sandwich—he's sandwiching two stories together in this chapter. And in this chapter, the stories together demonstrate what happens when you believe. When you believe with all of your heart and not look at your present circumstances, but you believe the power of God is released. You know, we're to to take our eyes sometimes off of the natural circumstances that we're going through, and we're to put our eyes on the Lord no matter what is happening around us. And in that, we're staying focused in on the promise that God has said for us. So in that, let's turn to Mark 5, verse 21. Let's start there. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. And so he stayed by the seashore. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and on seeing him, he fell at his feet, and he implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. Verse 24. And he went off with them, and a large crowd was following him and pressing him on each side. You know, when Scripture says a person's name, it's important that we understand that names have meaning when it comes to a Hebrew. Jairus, the name of Jairus means he awakens. He awakens. And we'll get to see at the end of this story that Jesus is going to awaken his daughter from a sleep of death. And so as we begin to go through this story, I find it interesting how he introduces him as a synagogue official. So, a synagogue official would be somebody like uh, a president, uh, a board of directors. It would be like, uh, the, yeah, the chief man in charge. But a synagogue official over, was an overseer of all the worship events that were going on inside the synagogues. And at that time, um, the synagogues were practically closed to Jesus. Essentially, he began to heal people on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees became outraged at him, and they began to kick him out so that the ministry of Jesus had to go out into, uh, into the open pastures out around the lake. He could not go back into the synagogues because it was off-limits. They were basically saying, you cannot come into these things, these events anymore. And so we have an understanding that Jesus is now having to preach out on the hillsides. So at that moment, we got to understand, it was a big deal for this synagogue official to all of a sudden break protocol, have to change what has been said in the synagogues where Jesus is not allowed, and he's having to to leave his rank, to leave those that he is uh, uh, comrades with, And he's having to do something that none of them have ever done. Because Jesus was viewed as a rebel rouser. He was viewed as one that was stirring up the pot and was not welcome in the synagogues. And so what does he do? He runs to Jesus. He goes to Jesus and he runs at him and he throws himself down at his feet and implores him to come and to touch his daughter, and to minister healing to her. He is doing something where he is having to press through the fear of what everybody thinks. You know, sometimes we really are challenged with what people think, with what we're going to be doing in life. But he's having to press through that moment of the fear of being uh, uh, outcast, being, being ridiculed, being put down, but he's going to press through because sometimes desperate measures require desperate means. Sometimes you're going to do something that is requiring you to take action when everybody around you is saying, no, 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 you can't do that. But he's like, you know what? This is all about my daughter. I don't really care what you think. He says, I am, I'm, I'm busting out of this place. I don't care if he's a rebel rouser. I don't care what all I know is I'm hearing that he's healing the sick and my daughter is dying. So he's going to press through his fear. He's going to go through it and he's going to see the victory of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I don't think there's anything more agonizing than being over a hospital bed or being over uh, the crib of one of your children when they are struggling for their life. The fear that can grip the heart of a parent when a child has a fever of 105, when a child has had to go in intensive care and they got tubes running all around them. And it's just that at that moment, I remember when I, I just did not know what to do with my son, Samuel. And he, he, they, they whisked him off and they took him to another hospital and, and Eliza's at this other hospital. And I didn't know what to do. And, and then finally I'm standing outside where you're looking inside the intensive care room where all the little babies are and I see my son in there and I froze. And so I I called I called Dolores and I said Dolores what do I do? And Dolores said to me, "You go in there, you tell the nurses you want to anoint your son with oil and you're going to pray over your son." that God raise him up out of the intensive care and heal him instantly. And I said, really? (laughs) I was was scared. I I, I didn't know what to do. So I mustered up the strength. And I'm walking in there. And I mean, the ladies were all, I mean, the doctors and everybody's around them. You know, I mean, this little guy, I mean, Samuel was was struggling for his life. And and I, I said, excuse me, uh, I'm going to pray for my son. I'm going to anoint him with oil. And they're like, okay. And um, So I I, I I parted the Red Sea. No, I walked up to him, and I anointed him with oil, and I prayed out loud, and I began to pray down heaven over my son. And I said, Lord, you're my son's healer. And I declare in Jesus' name that my son shall live and not die. Amen. then I walked out of there. Well, they were expecting him to be in there for over a week. The next day, the doctor says, we don't know how he's turned around, and we don't know how, what's happened, but your son can now go back to the other hospital and see his mama. So it was a miracle. But I had to press through my fears at that moment, what everybody was going to think of me because I had to do what was right for my son and pray the prayer of faith over him. But this story is interrupted by another story, but it's also very similar. So as Jesus uh, was on his way with Jairus, he encounters a woman who had been bleeding internally for 12 years. And Jesus takes time to stop in the midst of this busy crowd with people pressing all around him and all of a sudden announce, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what do you mean, Jesus? Everybody's around you, bumping you and and wanting you and yelling at you and and someone touched me. He stops. So let's look at verse 25. And a woman who had a, a hemorrhage for 12 years, And had endured much at the hands of many physicians, had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, touched the hem of his garments. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt her body and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus perceiving in Himself that power proceeding from Him had gone forth, He turned around to the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And His disciples said to Him, you see the crowd pressing in on you and and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. This is an incredible moment because in that day, anybody that was having their monthly cycle, they were declared unclean. You weren't to touch them. You weren't to go near them. So this woman had a stigma for 12 years that she was unclean. And she's coming up to the crowd. I'm sure they're saying, ooh, here's Miss Unclean coming. Ooh, get away. I mean, really, it was a big stigma. I mean, Just the shame that she felt of being labeled unclean. And at that moment, she had a decision. Am I going to worry about what they're thinking of me right now? Or am I going to press through this moment? And even though it's challenging, am I going to press through? And am I going to reach out and grab the hem of his garment? So she had a decision. Was she going to make it through This fear that she was, I'm sure, feeling. Let's move on to verse 35. And while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. If there was a verse I would want you to underline in your Bible, this is one of them. Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. Now, it might be easier said than done at that moment, because the man is thinking, my daughter is dead. And I'm sure he's aware that Jesus is the healer. But I'm sure he's wrestling inside because he's still got a walk to go back to his house. He's still got a a ways to go. And in his mind, I wonder if he's thinking, I wonder if this is really going to work. I wonder if she's really going to be healed. But what we'll see, even if his faith was as small as a mustard seed, it was enough to raise her from the dead. Verse 37 And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter, James, and John, and and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, why make commotion and weep? The child has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. I always thought that was an unusual verse. How can you weep at one moment and then laugh? But see, back then, what we don't do today in our culture is that they hired mourners. They hired mourners to come into the family and help the family mourn. So you have a big group of people that are crying and wailing, and they're, you know, maybe they're—I'm not saying putting on a show, but they're really, they're really working it up. And all of a sudden, when Jesus says she's not dead, they're like, "Ha!" and They start laughing. So he's like, "Out of here." You know, at that moment. What is so important is that the miracle is getting ready to unfold, but he, he, he wanted to make sure there was no doubt in the house. Get out. And so then he just pulls aside just a few. And they began laughing at him, but putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, come. Which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. For she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given to her to eat. He's so practical. You know, don't you love Jesus? He's like, get her some food. I want to talk about three ways to overcome fear and receive your breakthrough. I want you to write these down because these three points we're going to find in these two stories. Three ways to overcome fear and receive your breakthrough. Number one, action activates your breakthrough. You need to take action to begin to receive your promise. There needs to be some movement in the direction of your breakthrough that's going to require you to do something. The woman had to take action to receive her healing. She was putting her faith in motion. She was beginning to step out and even go into the crowd that was going to be ridiculing her as being unclean. She couldn't just stay home and hope that Jesus might decide to come to her house, knock on her door. I'm here. She had to get up and do something. She had to take action to begin to activate her breakthrough. Jairus, against the other synagogue officials, who shunned Jesus, was so desperate that he went to him. He went against all protocol and was even bold enough to invite Jesus to come to his house to heal his daughter. You know, he could have stayed home, or he could have stayed in the synagogue, hoping maybe Jesus might be brave enough to come back to the synagogue and do one of those healings again. But no, he had to take action and go for his breakthrough. So he started to step out and take action. To overcome your fear, you must deliberately walk towards it for it to dissipate. Isaiah 43.2 says this, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. There's an aspect of going headlong, straightforward into the very thing that you fear. And it's got to back down at some moment, at some time. But you are putting action in going towards it, which is beginning to activate your own breakthrough in your life. You know, if you want to get out of debt, you start taking steps towards seeing it to be a reality. If debt is crushing you, you're just not going to sit on the couch and eat bonbons and hope that, you know, the IRS won't, won't, you know, charge you a big tax bill or you're just not going to sit there and have wishful thinking. You're going to begin to take deliberate actions to get yourself out of debt in faith. You've got to do something to begin to activate it. If you want healing, you start moving towards it in faith. You're going after it. If your soul is broken, your heart is breaking, take action. Begin to go for it. Maybe it might be you need to sign up for Freedom Ministry, which I like to put in a plug for that. I think it's an incredible ministry in this church. If you need inner healing in your heart, if you need a tune-up, sign up for Freedom Ministry. You can go on the website. You can get an application, fill it out. You're like, you know what? I'm tired of living this way. I want freedom. Take action. Fill out an application. Turn it in and get prayer. But it's, there's something on our part that has to move towards it to see it manifest in our lives. James 2 says this, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and be filled. But you do not give them things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also by itself, if it does not have works, it is dead. But if someone will say, You have faith and I have works, Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, and you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by by the works of faith, it was made perfect in his life. You know, when God told Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. I mean, he could have said, okay, Lord, I do that. Lord, I give you my son. I give him to you. I lift him up to you and I let go. Lord, I thank you. I give him. He's yours. He's your gift. No, he wouldn't do that. He had to go get the kindling. He had to put it over his shoulder. Actually, put it over his son's shoulder. He had to get all the preparations to take his son up to the altar and put him on the altar. So there's movement that has to take place for us to receive the breakthrough. Number two, resist fear with faith. Resist fear with faith. God promised the Israelites that he was going to give them the promised land. That it was flowing with milk and honey. But it just wasn't going to be handed to them. They were going to have to fight for it. They were going to have to go for it. They were going to have to enter in. So God instructs Caleb in Numbers 13 to send out spies into the land. And you guys know the story. But instead of remembering that God promised the Israelites, I'm giving you the land. All of a sudden the spies got there and they compared themselves to the nine-foot giants. They looked at the giants, and what did they feel like? Grasshoppers. So they compared their circumstance, their situation, to the giant, and they were dwarfed in the image of what they saw. And so in that, when we begin to compare ourselves, our strength level, when we begin to compare our spiritual level when we begin to compare ourselves to the situation that we're facing, we're going to get dwarfed every time. we got to realize, number one, that the promises of God are yesterday, men. If He said He's going to give you the land, He's going to give you the land. If He said He's going to give you the promise that you're looking for, you can trust Him to give it to you. And you cannot look at what the situation looks like in the natural at the moment because every time we do that, we get defeated. We begin to compare ourselves. We compare ourselves with each other. We compare ourselves with how we look or the spirituality of one another's life. But in that, if the situation that we're looking at is bigger than our father, we're in trouble. We cannot measure the situation to the enormous magnitude of our great God who at any moment in any, at any time can change The issue on a dime. But the fact is, is that we are weak in and of ourselves. But the good news is that his power is perfected in your weakness. So as you humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and you resist the devil, he will flee from you. But in that, we got to realize that the battle is the Lord's. And thirdly, I'm going to wrap it up with this. The last thing is only believe. Uniting our faith with the promises of God unleashes the power of God for your breakthrough. When you put your faith in the unlimited power of God and what he says about you in that situation, when you stand firm on the word of God, you are on the very verge of your breakthrough in your own personal life. You know, he first, he reassures Jairus at that moment. When, it's, when he hears the word, when he gets the message that his daughter is dead, he said, don't be afraid any longer. What did he say? Only believe. Only believe. And once again, we see that fear is to be met by faith. He's afraid, but he says, believe. And at that moment, faith is what counters that fear and drives it away from his life. We're believing that God is able to do what he wants to at any time and at any moment. Our belief, only believing, is the only answer to conquering fear in our own personal lives. And we have to stand on His Word. Every single promise in His Word. We've got to rem- uh, memorize it. We've got to declare it. We've got to begin to, to put it out there. I remember the moment that I knew that we were on the verge of a breakthrough uh, to, to, to receive our new home. We had been uh, out of home. We were living with uh, somebody who was so kind enough to let us stay in their home for over six months. But I can remember I was on the back porch and the pressure that was upon me at that moment because I just said, God, there's got to be a breakthrough here. I could feel everything pushing in on me. I knew that something was getting ready to happen. And what does God tell me? He says, I want you to go out to that home that I told your wife that I was going to give to her as a gift, and I want you to prophesy over that house that this house is yours. Now, does that sound like a little weird to you? I mean, it did to me. Here I am. I drive out to the house. I get in the car. I get in the cul sac and I get out of the van, and I stand in front of the house, and I look around, see if anybody's looking at me. But then all of a sudden, I start prophesying at the house. I declare that this is a gift from the Lord, and I declare that the Lord is going to give it to my wife as a gift. Amen. And I got back in the van real quick, and I drove off, you know. So, but I did it. And I activated something, and it wasn't next week we got the news that the house was ours. The breakthrough was right then, but there was so much pressure at the very end of it, right before the breakthrough came. But I can't imagine walking back to to his house, Jairus, after hearing that his daughter had died. The fear that was racing through his mind, the struggles he was having. But he had sufficient faith to see his daughter raised from the dead. It just takes a seed the small of a mustard seed. It doesn't take a lot of faith. It just takes a little faith to see a mountain move, and to be cast into the sea. It just takes a little faith for things that seem impossible all of a sudden become possible. But the woman with the issue of blood said, if I can only reach out and touch him, I will be healed. And as she did that, Scripture says that power was released from Jesus and went into her, and she was healed instantly. Faith versus fear. What is faith? Faith is a spiritual force. What is fear? Fear is a spiritual force. It is a spirit. Faith is God's creative power. Fear is Satan's lethal power. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Fear is the substance of things not desired. But faith always conquers fear. Always conquers fear. Fear always loses its power when we actively trust God more than what we fear. We've got to say to the mountain, be uprooted and cast into the sea. There's some action that needs to take place in some of your lives. It might be that you need to go to somebody and repent. It might be that you got to go back to a relative and to repent for how you handle the situation. But whatever it might be, God wants you to begin to take steps of faith towards it so that you might see the breakthrough in your own personal life. I am so blessed by hearing the women that shared their testimony where they, they might have said, I came in one way. But I'm going out another way. I might have been addicted to drugs, but I'm free at last. Death has no hold on you. Addiction has no hold on you. And standing on that word and declaring it over your life is the the beginning of your breakthrough. So trusting the Lord that you are new creatures in Christ, and the old has passed away. You are new. When you went into the water, you were there were some old things hanging on you. It's called the old man. But there were several old ladies that are still in the water, and there's new ladies that are sitting here right now. And we can dump out that water real soon. Just get it out of here. But I'm believing that many of you in this house are on the verge of a great breakthrough. And I believe we're going to have some testimonies of people that have st- that stood strong, facing fear. You know, I I, I even love what, you know, Jamie Arizaga. you know, uh, Joanne and Jamie are going to be here uh, March the 10th, Sunday. And I want you all to be here. It is going to be an incredible service. And... Uh, uh, Joanne says, I already have a word for the house. I have a word for the house. And, but I remember uh, Jamie sharing one day with me. He said, you know, he, I don't know if you know this, but Jamie trained a, a military force to protect the president of Afghanistan. He had a 1,000 men that he was um, the captain over. And many times, I don't know if you've heard the bombings in Afghanistan and all that was going on. When they got off the plane in Afghanistan after they came from a leave of rest and they would fly back, he said they would have to fight their way back to the capital of Kabul. And as they're going back, he said, Sam, in the military, he said, the one thing that we're trained to do is that we're trained to run into the fire. We're trained to run into the fight. We're not trained to back away. We're trained to run in to the fight. It's just like the battle we're in. We are to run into the fear and let it bow to the name of Jesus. We're to see it dissipate in your life as faith arises in your heart, as you stand on the promises of God and you see the breakthrough of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to King of Glory Sermon of the Week. Connect with us on Instagram at K-O-G underscore Asheville and on Facebook at facebook.com slash K-O-G Asheville.